Paul mentioned, we are turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1190. Just to put these verses in a little bit of context, um, the letter to the, the second letter to the Thessalonians is, is a letter written to a church that's under persecution. And it's also written to a church that is feeling the weight of some false teaching. And the particular false teaching was that because they were under persecution, they had missed the return of Christ. And somehow they were at a disadvantage. Now this is a young church. So you can imagine how disconcerting uh, that type of teaching was to them. So that's the context of the letter. Uh, you can read that if you want to do that when you go home. But what we'll do, we're going to look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. But we'll, we'll read first of all from verse 13 just to give us a little bit more information. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Right, tonight it's not going to be rocket science. There are four verbs in verses 16 and 17, and we're going to look at each of those verbs very briefly. So it's not hard. Really, really straightforward. Uh, but that's what the verse says. The verses say, and, and we'll just look at that. But first of all, the first thing to look at before we consider what those verbs are is who is the subject of the sentence. At the start of verse 16, it says, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. It's the interaction of our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father that is responsible for everything that happens throughout the rest of these two verses. And that's important to remember. There's a common action involved. Often in Scripture we see that the Father, the Son, and indeed the Spirit can work independently of each other. But here we have the Father and the Son working together. It's also worthwhile paying attention to who the object is in these verses. So it's Jesus and the Father doing something, and they are doing something to or for us, as described by Paul, or you, i.e. the Thessalonian church. So we can take these verses and recognize that this is written to a group of Christians. So if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, listen up, because this is what the Father and the Son working in concert can do for you. So what's the first verb in verse 16? Well, Paul's already made reference to it, and I'm glad I've picked it up. Because it says, Jesus and the Father loved us. This is a very simple reminder that the church in Thessalonica was loved. 
But so often we need to be taken back to the fact that we are loved by Jesus and by the Father. This morning we had the tangible reminder of that on this platform as we met around the Lord's table and we had communion together. Why do we have that? To remind us that Christ died, the Father loved us, sent the Son and gave himself for us. It's to remind us that love is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when we meet for communion, the bread and the cup are simply there to remind us that we are loved by the Father and by the Son. So that's our starting point this evening, just to have that in our minds that we are the object of the love of God. But what's the second verb? in verse 16 well it is give Jesus and the Father give us eternal encouragement and good hope it also says that it's given by his grace it's within the remit of the Father and indeed of the Son to distribute those gifts there's nothing in Paul there's nothing in the Thessalonians and I can say with probably quite a bit of confidence there's nothing in us gives us any merit to any of the divine gifts. That's confirmed by James when he writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now the tense is important because it's give. So the gifts have already been given. But they've been given in the past for our current use. But at the same time, they're pointing towards the future. What does it say? Give us eternal encouragement and good hope. Eternal, it's forever. Hope, it's for tomorrow. And both of those things are pointing forward to a day when the Thessalonian fear of having missed Christ's return will be turned upside down. It's not going to be a fear. It's going to be a reality that eternity and hope come to fruition when Christ returns and they will experience the joy of being with him. So in the same way this morning we had the tangible evidence of God's love through the Lord's table and the supper that we celebrate, that's also a temporary reminder that one day we will be with him. The Lord's table will not be there forever. So there's an encouragement and the encouragement is that there's a hope that one day what God has given will eternally last. So perhaps you've come here this evening doubtful. Perhaps you've come here this evening fearful. Perhaps your state of mind is very much like the Thessalonians. There's encouragement and there's hope for you. But what's the next thing? Well, actually, the next verb is encourage. So Paul's taken this thought a little bit further. In verse 17, he says, encourage your hearts. We've already considered that there is an eternal encouragement, but we are sinful beings. And the reality is that day to day, we suffer from discouragement. Even though we know that there's an eternal hope, we're still subject to that discouragement. So because of that, we have to be encouraged in the present. 
Our default setting is frequently just to forget what has happened in the past and doubt what's going to happen in the future. Earlier in this chapter, verse 5, Paul had asked the Thessalonians if they couldn't remember the things that he had taught them. Why could they not remember? Because of their fretful attitude. But in the verses we read, it says this. He also told them to stand firm, to hold on to the teaching that he passed on to them in person and by letter. But why would he do that? Well, very simply because the encouragement that their hearts needed was to be found in the teaching that Paul had given them. Now, if I stand here and tell you to be encouraged, or indeed if I stand here and shout, be encouraged, you're going to go, well, why? Hi. That's a perfectly reasonable response. But the great thing about this passage is Paul tells them why and how. The why comes in verse 13, and that's because God has chosen to bring us into a transformed state through the work of his Spirit and the belief in truth. Verse 14, the gospel has brought us from death to life, and we can share in the glory of Jesus Christ. And we were reminded of that this morning. The how? Well, that comes at the end of verse 17. Be encouraged in every good deed and word. What we've been given should be evidenced in our speech, should be evidenced in our actions. So speak the truth, perform the good deed, and be encouraged in your heart while you do so. Don't give up speaking the truth. Don't give up doing good, and be strengthened while you do so. So what's the last of the four verbs? Well, it's strengthen. So may Jesus and the Father strengthen you. The reality, again, is no matter how often we're told to be encouraged, no matter how often we're told to stand firm, no matter how often we're told to hold on to the teaching, we're weak. And I suspect that for all of us, we'll have some similar trait to the Thessalonians. It might not be in relation to a particular strand of teaching. It might not be a false teacher that we hear but we will all have a pressure point where we stumble or we falter. But here is an extra encouragement that we will be strengthened. May the Son and the Father strengthen us. And it's important that our defenses are shored up in relation to the good deed and the good work. As we look to speak of truth, as we look to speak of Christ's love and how we deal with others, we can be strengthened. It's not a human strengthening, it's a divine work. It's the work of the Father and the Son. In verse 14, Paul had already referred to the work of the Spirit in sanctifying us. That Spirit does not stop working, but just keeps on working, fulfilling the promise that Jesus himself gave in John chapter 14, for he lives with you, and will be in you. So, as we turn to prayer, are you like the Thessalonians? Are you worried you've missed something? Well, don't listen to them. Don't listen to the false teachers. Listen to Paul, and remember what the Father and the Son have done. Loved us. Gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. And let's remember for the future that they will encourage our hearts and they will also strengthen us in every good word 
and deed. Amen.